guys, we're going to have a fun time with my friend Dwayne Adams of Dwayne Adams Hunting. Uh, before we get to that, I want to thank you guys for the avid support that you give my podcast. Uh, just super loyal listeners, and I really appreciate that. I want to encourage you, if you don't subscribe to the podcast, do so. It's free to you. I know there's a lot of you that are listening that are not subscribing. All you have to do is just hit subscribe. It's no charge. Uh, There never will be a charge. It will always be free, but uh, that helps us uh, with our ranking on iTunes. Uh, So subscribe. Uh, Also, if you haven't left a review, please go and leave a review there on iTunes. That also helps us. Uh, Guys, I get uh, messages from our sponsors of the podcast every day, uh, how you guys have, you know, stepped up and really support the sponsors. I want to thank those sponsors. I want to thank GoHunt.com, The Gear Shop, my friend Cody Nelson, 20-plus years. Uh, I was actually in Cody Nelson's wedding. Uh, That's probably an interesting uh, fact that you guys didn't know. Uh, Cody is the optics manager there at GoHunt. Uh, You can reach out and call him if you're interested in buying any optics at all, whether it be binos, spotting scopes, tripods, rifle scopes, uh, range-finding binoculars, handheld rangefinders, whatever it may be in regards to optics, uh, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also send him an email at optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to remind you that the Go Hunt Insider, uh, the free trial ends here in two weeks. Uh, so go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott, follow the prompts, uh, and uh, that's a free trial of the Insider. It's the best Western hunting resource out there. I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. To find out more about Kuyu, you can go to kuiu.com. Uh, thanks to Kuyu. I also want to thank PhoneScope. Uh, that's PhoneScope with a K, uh, PhoneScope.com. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. That's the digiscoping device that I use on my iPhone 10. Uh, through my binos and through my spotting scope, I'm able to take photos and video. Go to PhoneScope.com and uh, save 10%. And then OnXMaps.com. I use OnXMaps every day, hunting, fishing, and in my real estate business. Uh, it's a great app on your phone. You can save 20% by going to onxmaps.com. Use the jscott19 promo code uh, and save 20%. Guys, let's get right to this episode with Dwayne Adams. Really appreciate your support. If you have any questions or comments of me, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also send me a direct message on my Instagram account. That's at jscottoutdoors. Guys, God bless. Let's get right to it. Guys, welcome to the podcast. I've got my friend Dwayne Adams. Uh, Dwayne is a longtime hunting guide in the state of Arizona for all different sorts of species, but you guys probably know Dwayne from being on the podcast. Uh, he's written books. Uh, he, he is kind of known as the guy that started glassing with 15s off of a tripod and is a coos deer master. Dwayne, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jay. Praise God, doing doing really good. That's awesome. We sit here uh, about the 11th of October, and you know, all across the West, people are excited, especially in Arizona, with the uh, you know great winter moisture that we had and antler growth kicking off a, a great 2019 season. As we sit here uh, at the beginning of October, your deer hunts are, are about to start. 
both for coos and for mule deer up on the Kayabab, you know, the early hunt and the late hunt. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, the last time we talked, you were headed to, I believe, Unit 1 for 40-something, I think 41st year maybe of elk hunting in Unit 1. How was it up there? Probably maybe the best year I think we ever had. Uh, unbelievable growth. I had 10 clients. We killed nine bulls and six of them over 350. Wow. And the growth was just unbelievable. The hunting was unbelievable, and the rut was on from the time we got there, and it got better every day. Uh, the gentleman that didn't kill a bull uh, shot it at a uh, half a dozen uh, bulls, and just and he told me the last day so Mr. Adams is absolutely the best hunter I've ever on in my life and so that's that's what you want to hear and you know that being a guy you know even if they don't kill if they have opportunities it's it makes a tremendous distance but we've seen some bulls that people had killed and that you know just unbelievable bulls so the praise God it was a uh, one guy came in camp and he had a 390 and and just stopped by and showed us he he had killed and he's just a regular person and and he d- d- didn't need a guide, and it was uh, it was unbelievable bulls. That and and I'm glad all the clients got to see that. So, Dwayne, uh, the the heavy snows and the winter moisture that we got, um, you know, you're you, you've already said it's by the best year you've seen. So, as far as antler growth, is it the best year you've ever seen up there? In my in my opinion, it, it is. Uh, it's just unbelievable, uh, uh, and I'm—I mean, mule deer and elk and coos deer and all of it. I mean, I'm just seeing, just you know, in the coos deer, I'm seeing probably 10 to 15 points more, and the mule deer, 20 to 25, and elk as much as 40. Uh, just unbelievable than, than normal because, I mean, in in unit one, a lot of those marshes that that generally are dry at this time of year, they were still. 100 yards across, Jay, They're three and four inches of water in it, so the elk had never suffered in any aspect. You know, a lot of the state, uh, the guys that I've been talking to said, yeah, we had great spring and winter moisture, uh, but the lack of monsoon, it was really, really dry across the state, and we'll talk about that when it comes to coos here in a minute, but as far as Unit 1 goes, uh, did you feel that the summer monsoon was was not up to par, or did it actually hit okay? No, I think it did okay there. Unit 1 is a lot different, Jay, than other units uh, because it's so high. It's 9,000 feet at Big Lake, and all across the plateau all the way into the reservation, you know, it's so high. So those storms have a tendency to hit there. And, I'll, and my, I have an uncle lives in Pine Top, and he say, he'll say, nephew, there was no rain, but I drove to the Big Lake, and you, you just poured up there. So... They get the rain there that they don't get elsewhere. Towards the end of the rut, did you start seeing a lot of broken antlers, or was this one of those years that broken antlers weren't an issue at all? Didn't have that problem this year, thank God. I'm sure after we left it was because we got into two or three knockdown drag outs with bulls screaming everywhere, and we were in the middle of it. They were fighting like crazy, so you knew sooner or later that that was going to happen. They were going to beat them up. But it was like you said, it was right at the end of the rut, the last two or three days, that craziness just took off. But we'd already killed all the elk and was down to that one hunter by that time. 
Do you feel like the late hunt in that unit uh, with the antler growth being as good as it is, do you think it'll be a, a, a banner uh, late season unit one hunt? I think so. I don't know why it wouldn't be. Uh, I don't have any idea why it wouldn't be. It should be, just be unbelievable, to be very honest with you, because the, the growth is phenomenal, and if they get any kind of weather and push any of those bulls out of the reservation, God, those guys could, might kill some gigantic bulls. Let's shift a little bit uh, to deer. Um, we're kind of right on the, you know, right at the start. I think there's some junior hunts kicking off this weekend. Uh, there are actually a couple units I think have already had a few junior hunts. Uh, but tell us about your plans uh, for this upcoming fall uh, in regards to deer. Well, we're going to start in the Kaibab here in two weeks, thank God. And then after that, we'll start on the Coos deer and I gave glassing lessons this morning that a, 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 some, a young man from Yuma listened to you on the, this podcast and, and you and I, on, and I gave him lessons, and we seen nine bucks this morning and during the season, and th that was, he said, this is the season, Dwayne. I said, yeah, and there's people driving everywhere, but they're driving past a deer. Uh, I said, it's just that simple. And he, he got a tremendous education. We've seen 55 deer this morning in about two hours and those nine bucks. Dwayne, I've had a lot of people over the last couple of years that have heard you on the podcast and have come down and taken your glassing lessons. Um, talk a little bit about how a day of you know glassing lessons uh, go with you and kind of uh, you know, obviously they have to come take the lesson to get the full course, but, you know, kind of what are you going over? Well, you know, Jay, most people look, I, I, t I talk to it all the time about the angle of the dangle, and they giggle and laugh about that. But when I get done explaining to them what I'm talking about, then just like the gentleman today, uh, he said, I, I understand what you mean now. It, you know, you have to learn where to glass at what time of the day, and that's where the angle comes in. And and it, it, as soon as the sun come up, I said, all the right there is where the deer are. But I said, if you start watching those deer, they're going to move to the northwest cuts. And I said, if you don't have that angle, you can never see those deer. So what I try to do is, and I did it this morning as well, is we seen those deer go over that hill, right? I said, yeah, let's drive around and find those deer. And so that's what we did with his son. We drove around. I said, those deer are right there now. Now, I said, that saddle's where they came over, but now we're on the northwest side, and it wasn't two seconds, and his boy found two bucks. He said, there they are, Dad, there they are. And I, and I told the gentleman, I said, you see the difference? I said, this is the bed, and that's the food, and most people never understand that. So they could be good glassers, and a lot of the people that come to glassing lessons that you have sent me are good glassers, Jay. They just look at the wrong place at the wrong time. And they keep looking at those open, open hillsides, 9, 10, 11, 1 o'clock, and, and there are no deer there. But once I show them, to get, don't glass there, start getting this angle, and it, it clicks. And, and I'll tell you, I, I, two guys you gave me about six weeks ago, uh, I gave them this lesson. They went out the next day, and they found four bucks in the unit they're, caught, they're hunting, and they called me, and it was static. They said it was exactly what you said. We watched them go around to the northwest side. We went around there and found them, and I said, it's that simple. And they're both good glassers. 
But once they learn how to change tactics and start looking in the bedding area, and I tell them if you're not looking in the shade, you're not looking at the right place. You've got to get the angle to look at that shade because those deer are not going to lay out that open in sun very long. You know, Dwayne, um, after a few of our podcasts, I get a bunch of messages saying, are you sure Dwayne doesn't mean the northeast slope? He keeps saying the northwest slope. And I've always glassed north and east facing slopes. So in other words, uh, you know, the, the shadiest areas. You say northwest slope, just to make sure I'm clearly understanding you, literally you want those slopes what you're looking at is slopes that face the northwest? Yes. Every mountain range is different, uh, Jay. And it, it might not be identically the, the, the west side, but it's, it's the shady side of a ridge. And so I use the northwest and the southeast on purpose because if I start con confusing it, they are already confused. So I, I explain to them, look, the sun's coming up in the east. You see where the sun hits? And they'll say, yeah, it's, it's on the other side of each one of these deals. That's how simple it is. And so I call it the northwest. And in some places, it's not. It might be a little bit of the east. But for the most part, about 90% of it is the west side of a ridge. So as that, so what you're saying is the guys that have come that have listened to the podcast, they can look through the binoculars and they can pick deer out. But you're saying it's kind of a game of percentages and they're strictly not looking in the deer where the highest percentages of deer are holding, which you are saying as soon as the first hour goes by, start shifting your focus to glassing into the shady pockets and shady areas. And then that also translates into the afternoon. If, if you're looking with the sun at your back, yes, if deer pop up, you can see them, uh, right at last light, but for the three or four hours before the sun goes down, you're saying use your time to glass all of the shady pockets and you'll be looking into a higher percentage area of where deer are holding. Is that kind of the crux of what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying, and that's exactly what I try to teach these guys, these gentlemen that come, is that the reason we see so many deer, they said, There's, I've never seen so many deer. I said, it's because we're looking where the deer are in the morning and where they are in, in the middle of the day and in the evening. I reverse it. I said, it's just reversed of what we did. At 4 o'clock, I said, you start looking at those northwest cuts, and you're, they're going to be coming back out to the feed. So it's just reversed. And, and I, I show them both ways what's going to happen. And, and it, once they start getting the format, and I tell them all the time, it's the same as desert mule deer. When you're driving out there in the flats, a 30-inch deer is not going to lay in the sun at 10 o'clock in the morning. He's going to lay on, on the northwest side of, the, of a Palo Verde or a mesquite tree. So if you don't have that angle at about 9 to look back in there, you're going to miss those deer. And I, so that, that's what I try to teach them. You always try to have the angles that you can look into the shade, especially in the desert. Let's talk a little bit about um, taking that same approach in more timbered country, say like the Kayabab or even some of this stuff up here in Colorado or Utah or Idaho. Does, you know, the angle of the dangle, does looking into the shade change, um, you know, 
when you're looking for mule deer in more forested areas? It changes drastically. If you and the reason is if you've got pines and it's it's shady on both sides, a lot of times they won't they won't play that game. They'll they'll just stay in the pines. But what I have found if it's oaks, they they lay on that shady side in the oaks, and that's that's been the northwest cuts for us. And if they're laying that that side, then they're they're very vulnerable to be to kill. And that's one of the things that we're doing. And they also do that same thing in the aspens. They lay they lay in those thick aspens, literally on on that northwest little cuts. And some of the best places that we're hunting are just little rolling hills that nobody looks at, and it's just shaded. And we've killed a half a dozen gigantic bucks where nobody will look in that little those little pockets. You've also talked about the angle of the dangle, uh, about the roll of the hill, and, you know, whether you glass at the top of the hill or at the roll, talk a little bit about positioning yourself, um, you know, on a hill so that you can be able to see the whole canyon or see the hill across that you're looking at. Well, everybody wants to sit down in glass, and including myself, because I, 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 I'm a lot more steadier when I sit out the glass. But what I found is that you have to pick the binoculars up and move just to get that right angle. And what I mean by that is, and I did it this morning with the guy. I said, look, if we walk up here 100 yards, we'll have a different angle. And we, you walk up here, and we didn't glass 10 seconds, and I said, there's a buck. And I said, that 100 yards down there, we missed him because we did not have that angle. And so what you're saying is, is the little rolls like that, I, I, I pick up and I move 20, 30, 40 yards, and I look, and then I pick up 20, 30, 40 yards, and I keep looking, and I keep changing the angle the whole time because a lot of times Luke was glassing with me a couple years ago, and he said, Dad, I got a buck. And I said, you do? And it's the exact situation you're talking about, just a little roll hill, and it was a bunch of blowdowns. And I said, Luke, I can't see that deer. I said, what are you talking? So he said, so I had to get his binoculars. If I move left two feet or right two feet, I couldn't see that deer. And all you could do is see his neck and head. And, in fact, my son-in-law put that on my web page. And if you look on it, you can see this buck laying there, and he's turned his head. And we killed this deer. And he scored 192. And he was in the, the angle. If we would not have had that, we would have never found him. Dwayne, what's going on around your house? Uh, you live in southern Arizona down there by San Manuel. Uh, how does the desert look? How has the monsoon rain been? What are feed conditions there uh, in, in that country? Well, the monsoons weren't as, as uh, normal here as, as they were in, in Unit 1. It was, it was like we got a couple real serious rains, and we, did, we, we, we didn't get any rains. But the growth, I think, was unbelievable because of all of the winter and the feed that come out. The acorns up there are just unbelievable. Uh, I, I was just up there, and there are millions of them. And so that's because of a wet, wet winter, and the deer are just gorging themselves on those acorns. I mean, I've I seen that. They're just Every deer we've seen today was, oh, they're just uh, vacuuming those acorns up. So... It's going to be the same probably in the Kaibab, and I think it's going to be anywhere that there is any of that. I think that the food's just going to be unbelievable, to be very honest with you. So for these guys that are out going out on these junior hunts and then these October Tuesday hunts that are starting out, would you say that this year it might be a good time to focus more on the oaks than normal? 
I think so, yes. I think that's exactly what I did today is uh, I, I, could, I noticed that the, that the acorns uh, in, in early summer, they just you could just see them under like pins on a head of a, there are thousands of them, so you know they're going to start dropping, and once they start dropping, the deer are just going to just, just sit there and just hardly move at all, just vacuum all those acorns up that hit the ground. So I, that's exactly what I would do is, is be tr trying to play around those acorn trees. Um, this year, these early hunts, uh, both in the Kaibab and uh, the, the coos deer and, and some of the early mule deer hunts in Arizona, uh, fall on a new moon, uh, a dark moon. How do you see that playing out for that uh, first, you know, uh, October coos deer season and, and, and up on the Kaibab, that new moon? Well, I have a theory, Jay, and, and I tell them it's just like the Super Bowl. Whatever you're dealt, you got to hunt. And so when it's a full moon, generally those deer lay down earlier. But they, on the reverse, Jay, they also get up earlier to feed. So if it's just reverse of that, they're not going to lay down as early if it's dark. And that's what we have come, come out to. They'll stay enough and feed for another 20 or 30 minutes longer than normal. So it's either one or it's other, but... Either way it goes, you're going to have an opportunity to, to try to kill them in the, in the morning if it's dark, and if it's, in, if it's full moon, they're going to get up in the evening earlier. That's, that's what's been my, my experience. How do you anticipate the uh, Kaibab, the early hunt, uh, going this year? I think it's going to be unbelievable. We killed a really nice buck up there on the archery season and, and seen some unbelievable deer. So I, I just think it's going to, I mean, Jay, you, you've, uh, you've seen what they did in a strip. I mean, they just killed deer up there. They're just ungodly anywhere in the world. And I, I just don't think that the Kaibab is too much off of that. I, I'm not saying there's 300-inch deer up there, but I think there's going to be a lot of deer killed up there in the 220 to 230s. Obviously, the late hunt, uh, you get those deer that are rutting and, and you know, going crazy up there, I assume you you are betting that the late hunt on the Kaibab is going to be a year to remember. I think so. I, I think it's going to be uh, – I, I, we were on the late hunt last year, and on the last day I seen 40 bucks that were over 160 and up. And me, wow. me and some of the guys that work with me, and we seen several bucks are in that 180 to 190 to bump it right up to 200-inch. And they, you know, all those deer had to carry over. So if they picked up 20 points, that's why I was telling you that I think it's going to be 220, 230, 240-inch bucks that are going to be killed there. I think that you're going to have a lot of common people that, that, that kill those deer because I think there's great numbers of those deer that made it. One of the tricks up on the Kaibab, and we've talked about it before on other podcasts, are there's all these different ranges. Uh, of elevation and vegetation on the Kaibab and the deer migration happens, you know, sometimes according to the weather, according to, you know, how cold it is, what the vegetation's doing, and they move with, you know, with the weather. Give a few tips for guys up there that maybe aren't going guided and feel a little bit overwhelmed about the Kaibab, you know, as big as it is, and, and how do they find deer uh, at the different zones, at the different levels of, of elevation? 
That's a good question, Jay, because I, I try to keep an ear on the Kaibab. I, I see what the temperature is, and I see that it's going to be 15 degrees next week. And so that tells me that the food on top is froze. And those are the small forbs. That's what those deer eat up there. They eat all small forbs that's in the grass. And when it freezes, I have found that those deer will start to migrate. And and they start moving. It's just something that God gave them. They know it's time to move. Uh, and the does, fawns, small bucks will start to move. But a lot of the big bucks will start to move too. Uh, they don't move as fast as those deer do, but they start dropping down to the next level. The next level is the oaks. They'll fall into the oaks, and if there's no oaks, they drop on back down to the down to the cliff rows and on down to the sage. But this year, I think they're going to hang up in the oaks because there's acorns, like I just told you, everywhere, and they'll usually stay in that acorns all the way into the late hunt because there's so many uh, oak uh, basins up there that they the deer can't clean it all up. And then what usually stops them is when the snow comes. It covers it up, then they drop down. That, that's that's what's been my experience. So you, you don't want to stay too much on top of that mountain. If it gets cold, and, it, and, and uh, my son-in-law Nick said it's going to be 15, and the high is going to be 51, but it's going to be in the 20s every morning, those deer will move automatically and start dropping down to the next food level. Some of those deer, Dwayne, give the listeners that aren't familiar with the Kaibab how far they will travel. Uh, in their migration? They go 40 miles uh, is what they go, and that's about what it is from the top of the mountain all the way down into the to the uh, so watch, jump up, slide, all that country. And then on the east side, they'll fall all the way down into the coxcombs and all the way down way out there in that sage. And so it's a, it's a lot longer than people think. And what's really surprising to me, they'll do it in about three days. Uh, once they take off, they take off, and, 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 and I didn't really realize that. And where I come up with that figure is that we've been at jump up and, and slide and, and all these countries, and no deer, not a track, and go down there in three days, and there's hundreds of deer. And it just, it just it's an eye-opener how fast. So, you know, I, we always think that the deer, you know, are just going to walk, you know, it, I think they walk all night and rest during the day, and then I walk all night. They do that about three times, and it's over. They're there. Dwayne, um, you have right around your house, not only do you have cooster, but you have desert mule deer. Um, I get a lot of questions for guys that are uh, hunting coos, and then I get questions about guys that are hunting mule deer down in some of those southern Arizona units. Uh, what are some tips that you can give mule deer hunters that are hunting kind of in those, you know, 32, 31, 33, 34A, some of those units for mule deer? Well, the, the best tip I can give you is you've got to have two people. Uh, I think it's very difficult to stock those deer by yourself. Once you leave the mountain and, and, and start down there to those deer, if you don't have help, more more than not, you're going to, I call it stock and spook. And I think that's probably more important than, than anything else is to have help with you. They can tell you one more ridge over, or talk to you, give you sand signals, or whatever you want to use to get into those deer. The thing that I have found in January, 
on the on that archery hunt, if that's what you're talking about, Jay, is they love barrel cactus tops and they love cholla. They love those two two fruit, and both of those come off in the last part of December, the far, the whole part of, of January. So when I'm glassing, and I I see a big cholla patch, thick cholla patch, or I see a a lot of barrel cactuses, man, I slow down and pay attention because they love those those two things. When you start talking about over-the-counter deer, Arizona is one of those states that, you know, you can come from out of state or even people that live in Arizona can buy a tag over-the-counter and hunt during the peak of the rut for mule deer in the desert and coos deer in the desert. And I get people asking me all the time, you know, what unit should I go to? And I, I kind of smirk because, in my opinion, for the mule deer specifically, and most of the questions people are asking about over-the-counter mule deer, especially non-residents, they want to come hunt muleys, I've found that there's, yeah, there's units that may be a little better than others, but the reality is if you're in that right zone and you're kind of down on that desert floor, any of the units that you pick can be pretty good. My question for you would be as someone that's lived down there as long as you have and, and been around those deer, you know, 40, 50 years, um, what, are there any units that jump out at you for a mule deer that you think are better than others? Well, Jay, I'm going to tell you, you, you actually answered the question. I'm going to be as honest as I can be. I think you have to have an area that's flat, that those deer can survive in through the rifle season, and 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 that's what makes all the units that you talked about devastating. Great, that's why there's always big bucks. I think that they can get out and see a pile of verdes or mesquites, and they're unhuntable pretty much until the rut. And then in the rut, they come out of that stuff to chase does. And I and I get that same question from guys that call me uh, that want to do it on their own, and I tell them. There's, there's really not a magic place. And I said, because I, I go to about a half a dozen different units. Uh, I hunt this one this day. I hunt this one the next day. And, and then, my Lord, there's a gigantic deer. Could be right by a road. Last year, one of the biggest deers that we've seen, and he's way over 200 inches, Jay, he was within 300 yards of a main road, but you couldn't see him because of all the power verdes. And we got up on a knob, was glassing down in there, and he, him and three other bucks way over 180 were in that zone rutting about 10 does. And, and there it is. So that's just one of those little holes that, that we have found over the years. It's right off a highway, but it's flat for 30 miles, and those deer can survive. You can't hunt them with a rifle there. That's, I, I think if you're in an area that they could, the rifle hunters have a chance to kill the two points and the three points and the deer as they progress up, they never get a chance to grow up. But if you've got a place that they can grow up out there and get four, five, six years old, you've got a chance to kill a monster in anywhere around Tucson, 37B, 37A, uh, uh, 36A, 36B, all those zones around there have gigantic deer. Yeah, and I, I tell people, too, like if you're looking in western Arizona and you're looking at like 42, 41, 44, 43, I mean, what I tell guys is find desert knobs, you know, cone little shaped, little jagged peaks, get up on those cone peaks, and then look out into those sandy bottom washes that are, you know, choked with ironwood trees, Palo Verde trees. 
Um, and, you know, if you're coming from out of state, you're going to come and think there's no way a deer lives there. But if you would just, you know, climb for 30 minutes or 45 minutes up to a tall, jagged peak where you can look literally 360 degrees out onto the desert floor, and then once you get up there, focus on just look with your naked eye and look for those drainages where they're just choked with brush. That's where they're going to be. That's where they're going to bed. Uh, and then they'll just branch out just a little bit and feed, and then they'll come back in those sandy bottom washes. And, I mean, how many times, Dwayne, have you been quail hunting, and you're out there in just a complete flat, and you're looking around, and there's just deer tracks all over, and where are they? They're right next to the, you know, the thick mesquite, the thick palo verdes, the thick ironwoods, you know, the, the, the thicker brush that's in those sandy bottom washes, that's where you see all the deer tracks. And... Um, you know, people are looking for the magic ticket or the magic unit in Arizona. Man, I think there's, you know, 8 to 10, maybe 12 units that you could pick and have just about as much success as any other. Well, everything you said is exactly what, what we do. I mean, the units you're talking about, the 43, 41s, all those units down there is the exact same thing. I mean, they're big flats. And you have a, a cone that you're talking about. You can get up and glass out there, and and it's it, you are right. I mean, uh, I don't know how many times I've been quail hunting, and and, and a gigantic mule deer will jump out and run two bounds, and, and you'll never see that deer again. But you come back in a rut, and you've got a chance to see that deer. And so, I, I think that's exactly right. You hit it right on the head. I remember last year you were saying that the quail um, hatch was very very poor. Um, how is this year looking? I think it's unbelievable. I, and I'm actually flabbergasted that there were that many carryover because last year was probably the first year I hadn't killed a, killed a quail in my life. And I, 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 there were just very few birds, so I left them alone. But I, I've been out time and time again, and praise God, their birds have exploded. I mean, we it's just un, uncanny that the, how they, they have recovered and I seen 11 cubbies the other day and just messing around in about two hours, and and I was just excited to death. So thank God we're going to have some fun. Dwayne, I'm, I always love having you on the podcast. Um, want to give you a chance uh, to give a few last-minute tips to those guys out there, the deer hunters out there that are about to hit the woods, so whether it be in Arizona or, or all across the West. Uh, whether it be mule deer or twos deer, uh, give give a few more tips that you think are important or anything that we didn't touch on today. Well, I think the most important thing is is you have to have a great tripod that you can stand up with, and you have to have a good quality pair of binoculars. If you have that too, there's enough information from guys like you that put these podcasts on that have wonderful people that are very sharp on how to pick up instead of having to learn to do it on your own. They can listen to some of the things that you put out and save them a lot of time. And I think that's probably most important in all is those things there. But there are a lot of, of people, Jay, that uh, are starving for information. And I, I, I thought I knew that until I got on your podcast and I've probably done 45 or 50 glassing lessons uh, since the last time you and I were on. And and every one of them, when I when they they just thank me, they said, you know, I've tried, been trying to get this, and I seen on on Jay's podcast that you give lessons, uh, 
and I, I, I want to try to help people. I, I think that that's part of passing it on. And I, I give free glass and lessons to children. Uh, I had a young boy today, and I don't charge the parents for children. I think that we owe it to those kids to learn the right way to have fun out there instead of not have fun. And if they, they can learn how to glass from somebody like me and make it fun, then I, I think we'll pass that on. And I, I think that's probably more important than anything else is that find your kids a pair of good binoculars. And I'll give you one more tip, Jay, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my boy, when he was 10, had no idea about glassing, and he didn't want a glass. And I've since have told this story to the, these clients because they told me my son doesn't like this, and I said, then pay him. And they said, what do you mean, Mr. Adams? I said, look, if you're going to be a welder, they, they pay you. If you're going to be an electrician, there's an apprentice program. And I said, my son was in that category 35 years ago. And I said, so I told Luke, I said, I'll give you a dollar for every deer you find. He said, what do you mean, Dad? I said, if you see a deer with your binoculars, not with your eyes, I'll give you a dollar. And he found six deer that day. I gave him six bucks, and, and he flipped in a New York minute after that. And every day, <laughs> money talks. <laughs> money talks, and I tell people that. I said, I said, why not? If your son is not interested in doing this, I said, pay him. So I said, they said, pay him what? I said, and I use that illustration, Jay. I said, every trade in America, they don't train you free. They pay you. And I said, so if you wanted your boy to enjoy yourself, pay him. I said, and, and pay him, and don't be a cheapskate. So now, <laughs> as a grandfather, I pay my grandchildren $10 a deer. That's what I do. And, and, and it works. It works. And, and I got two grandsons that are, they get that binoculars, and I'm telling them, they say, Pop, now, how do you do this? They're seven and six years old. And I said, okay, look at that hill. And I try, and then I'll put the deer on. I, I see him. I see the deer. Does that one count? I said, that one counts. And, and give them a couple $20 bills, and guess what? They, they, every time now they want to come. They want to come because they're an incentive. As Luke got older, I gave Luke $50 a day to go with me, and plus I, I said, I'll give you a dollar a deer, Luke. So the incentive was there, and my son's a killer now. I mean, he's a, and, 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 and That's so what, awesome. What's happening? It's the truth. I, my boy, and I forgot to, to, you know, tell people about that until I had these guys come on the glassing lessons, and they said, I've got a son that won't do it. I said, then pay him. He says, you know what, Mr. Adams, I'm going home, and I'm going to pay him. I'm going to do that. I said, tell him, $10 a deer. I guarantee you money is a great incentive to pay attention. <laughs> That's a great tip, man. That's a great tip. Well, Dwayne, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can reach out to you and, um, and follow and, and chat with you, what have you. So will you do that, please? You bet. If you get, want to give me a call, uh, my phone number is 520-385-4995. I have a web page, uh, Dwayne Adams Hunting. and you be, be, Look at that. And if you're interested in a guided hunt on the Kaibab or Coos Deer, even if you don't have a tag, I mean, don't can't hire a guide, give me a call. I would love to talk to you. And maybe I could give you some advice that uh, I like to help people. And if you've got a tag and you, you need a map, we draw detailed maps and try to put people in good places because we need everybody's vote 
to beat these Democrats back. So we all try to try <laughs> to help everybody to to get this right, so we can all have fun out there. But but if you got any kind of questions, I have glassing lessons as you've heard me talk about. I get three hundred dollars uh, per person, and children are free, and we'd love to give you glassing lessons. Right on, man. I'll link it up in the show notes as well, and uh, have a great time up on the Kaibab, and I'll be looking for your client success, and I always enjoy talking to you. God bless you, okay? God bless you. Uh, God bless you. Bye. All right, buddy. Take care.